Uh, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You better put the countdown clock on. I noticed you haven't started it, which is good for me. Makes me feel good, but we're going to be here till tomorrow if that's not on. So Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible, they're going to put the scripture up behind me on the screen. Look what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Everyone say, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The title of my message this morning is simply this, 56 plus green equals milk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into areas of our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. We pray that you would do that here this morning. More than anything, God, I pray, oh Jesus, help me not to be boring. God, I pray that you'd help these people here not to be boring either. That's equally as horrible in Jesus' name. And everyone said, (laughs) some some years ago, I was uh, having dinner with some uh, friends of mine in San Diego, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne Matesius. They pastor the Awakened Church, got multiple campuses, doing an amazing job, thousands of people on a weekend. And so we were, we were having dinner, and over dinner, a discussion came up over this passage of Scripture. We had a mutual friend who preached there who was preaching strong in the grace message. And uh, Jürgen and Leanne were, were agitated at the response uh, to this message, saved by grace, through faith, not of works, and the agitation came from uh, this thought that people's response was, "Well, if I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, then as a Christian, why do I need to participate? Why do I need to do any works as far as it comes to the church? So, if I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, why would I need to attend every Sunday? Why can't I just come when I feel like it, when I've got time? If I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, why would I need to get on a team? Why would I need to serve? If I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, why would I need to run a small group, a connect group, keep other people you know, connected? If I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, then why would I need to give? What's the point in me giving my finances if that's got nothing to do with my salvation? And, and you can understand their frustration because you can't build a great church on nothing. A, a church like you have here at City Light, you, you can't build a great church like this where you're running three services jam-packed on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service in an online campus and small groups and all the other things that your church does. You can't build anything great like this without participation from people in the church. And, and so I, I understood their frustration, but my challenge is, I'm a grace preacher. 
This is the message of the gospel. I always laugh when people get, you know, angry at Joel Osteen, you know, and their big criticism is that he preaches like an easy grace or he, he, he preaches like a grace-filled salvation. And the reality is there's no such thing as complicated grace. Like if you're preaching complicated grace, you made that sucker up. Grace is easy. And so I'm a grace preacher and I remember coming out of that, trying to process that, praying about it, seeking the Scripture. And at the end of the day, I, I, I came up to the conclusion that no, you and I actually are all saved by works. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time or you've just got a good memory to the passage we just read, your brain's probably going... Incorrect, sir. You just said and made us say emphatically, not of works. So how can we be saved by works when the Scripture says not of works? And so saying that probably makes as much sense as 56 plus green equals milk. So are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? And I would suggest to you that the answer to that question is simply yes. So which is it? Let's look at the Scripture together. It says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God. Now let me give you the context before we get into this. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, and in chapter 1, he's, he's expounding on the greatness of God. Chapter 1 is all about how great God is, how magnificent God is. Chapter 2 starts out with bad us. Good God, bad us. Incredible God, messed up us. In fact, when Eugene Peterson wrote the first few verses of chapter 2, he wrote it like this. It wasn't long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. The scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. You and I were messed up. You and I were far from God, but God. But God. You are mired in that old stagnant life of sin, but God. You have filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and you exhaled disobedience, but God. When you were doing what you felt like doing, when you felt like doing it, but God. When you were on the opposite side of the God life, but God. But God who is rich, in mercy. I, I love that. You may feel when you look at your life, man, my life is filled with failure. But God, who is rich in mercy. You look at your life right now and you go, man, my life has been filled with disobedience. But God is rich in mercy. You say, man, my life is filled with sin. But God, who is rich in mercy. I don't care what you think your problem is. If you are far away from God today, our God is rich in mercy. Whatever you've got, He's got more to counteract the problem that you think that you have. Our God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. He is rich in mercy. Why? Because He's rich in love. He's rich in mercy towards you because He's rich in love towards you. 
God loves you. If you've never heard this, maybe you grew up, especially if you're on, in an online community, Maybe you grew up thinking God is angry. I remember growing up thinking the, the, the Christians that I'd met had sort of portrayed Jesus as being like having an eternal bad hair day. You know, he's just always angry. And he was just a big judge in heaven with a mallet just ready, you're doing wrong, just to crush you, you know. And, and if you've walked past those people who preach on the street, you know, God, you're burning hell, you know those people? You look at them and you don't think our God is rich in mercy. But our God is rich in mercy with love, with what? He loves us. God already loves you. End of story. Bible says here in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So He loved you even when you were far from Him. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you were saved. So you were dead, God wants to make you alive. You were far away, He wants to bring you close. You were alienated from the kingdom of God and He wants to connect you to His kingdom and all of His promises for you. You were lost and He wants to bring you hope. You were enemies and He wants to make you family. Goes on in verse six, and he raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh my gosh, that little verse there is just so loaded. He raised us up, that's a resurrection. We were dead in our trespasses and He resurrected us and gave us brand new life. It's a resurrection power that comes in. You were dead, you were far away and He raised, even when you were dead in your trespasses, He raised you up. In other words, His great love towards you was so powerful that, that even when you were not interested in Him, He was interested in you. I, I'm not sure if you can remember this pre-Jesus you. I remember the pre-Jesus me. I, I remember my mother inviting me to church. And I'm like, no. And she's like, come on, come to church with me on Sunday. No. I had Christian friends. You want to come to church with us on Sunday? No. And then they keep asking. No. And I get angry. No. I remember one guy going, I go into one guy going, I don't want to go to your stupid church. I'm not interested in your stupid Jesus. Like I was angry. No. Even in that moment, God was rich in mercy. Even though I was losing my mind on how angry I was, I didn't want to become a Christian. God was rich in mercy. In that dead place, God raised me up and then He, listen to this, He sat me down. So right now, in this position, I am doing absolutely nothing except walking. I'm living my own life, doing my own thing. God's reaching out. I'm not reaching out to Him with my love. I'm not reaching out to Him with my, no, God's reaching out to me. He's doing everything. I'm dead and I can't get out of my life of deadness in my sin and trust. So He resurrects me. I can't resurrect myself. He resurrects me. He pulls me out of the grave. And then what does He do? He sits me down. Where, what, and I'm seated, I'm resting. Like right now, you're sitting down and you're resting. And some of you are resting so much, you're getting a little bit apathetic in your, in your response. But that's okay. I'm doing all the work here. I'm working harder than you right now. But, that, but that's cool. So you're resting. Some of you watching online, you're resting. You're lying in your bed. 
you don't even have, you don't even have to get dressed. Just, just there in your pajamas watching church. You think this is unbelievable. And so you're resting, sipping on a latte. And so, and so you're in that position of rest. You're, you're seated. And then it says here, seated where? In heavenly places. With Christ Jesus. That's an incredible, powerful little bit of information there. We're seated with Jesus. We're seated where He is seated. What, what does that even mean? Does that mean like it's a really comfortable seat in heaven? Was it like God was like, okay, angels, we need you to gather around, scurry. Everyone scurry. Gather around, gather around quickly. We're about to bring Jesus back to heaven. He's going to ascend right now. I need somewhere for him to sit. We need a seat. We need to find a seat for Jesus. And probably some, like he's been in the tomb for three days. He's been on a cross. Got to mess up your back. And so we need something with a bit of lumbar support. Maybe a seat with a lumbar support. Maybe a little bit of like some, some raise his feet up, put his feet up. Maybe something with a nice view of the lake of fire. Uh, and, and angels are scurrying around heaven, you know, checking out seats. Oh, this one's too soft. This one's too hard. Oh, this one's just right. You know, this is like... And they finally come up with the one at the right hand. So, no, this is not about comfort. This is not about, this is not about view. This, this, the, the right hand of the throne of God is symbolic of authority. This is what it says here in verse 20 of chapter 1. Raise Him from the dead. Seat Him at His right hand in heavenly places. That's where we're seated. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, above every name that is named uh, in this age, the age to come, put all things under His feet, gave Him to be the head of all things of the church. The right hand of the throne of God represents authority. It represents power. It represents ownership. It represents dominion. So God raises us up from our dead life of sin and then He seats us in a place of authority you already have spiritual authority. Amen. You already have spiritual power. You, you can't earn any more God's. You can learn how to exercise it, but you can't earn it. Fasting is not going to earn you more spiritual power. It's just going to help you implement the spiritual power you have. Praying is not going to earn you more spiritual power. It's just going to teach you how to use the spiritual power that you've got. You already have it. God gave it to you when He, when he saved you from your life of sin and death. This is how God works. He sits us in heavenly places, causes us to stand in authority, and then causes us to walk out our salvation. This is the power of God in, in our life. And so we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. We've got all power and all authority. Why? That in the ages to come, He may show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us. Why does He do that? Because He wants to show you off. Why is he, he wants to show the world His grace. He wants to show the world His power. And He does that by setting you up as a trophy of His grace. People should be able to look at you today and go, what's the change? We knew you before you went to church and we didn't like you that much. <laughs> but there's something different about you today. What is that? That's the grace of God. Goes on and He says that He would show the riches of His grace in His kindness towards us. What is grace? Grace is unmerited, undeserved favour. If you work at a job, 40 hours a week. They cut you a check at the end of the week and they hand it to you. That's called a wage. If you run a race and you take first place and they hand you a trophy, that's called a prize. If you do something amazing in the community, 
We stand you up and we uh, give you an applause and we present you with a plaque. That's called an award. But when you can't earn it and you can't win it and then you don't deserve it, you, you get it anyway. That's what grace is. It's God's unmerited favour. Is anybody in the house today excited about God's favour? Verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. So you're saved by grace, not of works. It's a gift of God. Why? Verse 9, Lest anyone should boast. So God says, I'm going to remove you totally out of your salvation equation. Why? So you can't get all prideful about it. So you can't boast. So you can't become so spiritual that you look down your, you know, your long spiritual nose at everybody else. and You're so much better than them because you know some Bible words. Hallelujah, glory be to God, tabernacle. You can just like... <laughs> and get all snooty. God does bruise you out of the equation. You can't be coming into church like, I'm too Christian for this church, too Christian for this church, so Christian that it hurts. I'm too Christian for my pastor. He won't preach any faster. It's like, you can't be like, I'm holy and I know it. You can't get like that. He removes you outside the equation. If you were to die today, which we hope you don't, and you'd go to heaven, when you, when you, there, heaven, you know what you're going to hear? That. Nothing. No one's going to be running up like, you made it. Congratulations. Well done. You're awesome. No, because you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to deserve to get there. You just died. That's all you did. You did it. Heaven. There's no congratulations. If my children don't clean their room and I clean their room for them, when they get home, I'm not running to go, great one, girls. Your room's so tidy. You're amazing. No, I clean that sucker. So God, so, so, so God removes you totally out of the salvation equation. Having said that, I would still put it to you that you and I are all saved by works. Well, how does that work? Years, years ago in, in Townsville, North Queensland, that's where I grew up, the front page of the Townsville Daily Bulletin read the headline, says, Brave Action Saves Hotel From Fire. And an elevator caught on fire on the eighth floor of a 14-storey hotel on the, on the coast of Australia, on the coast of Townsville. And the hotel was jammed full of people that night, and uh, uh, every, every room was sold out. And this young man took a fire extinguisher, ran... Uh, into the face of the fire and put the fire out and saved the hotel from burning to the ground. Now, that young man happens to be standing before you today. I am a real town hero in Townsville, North Queensland. Thank you. That's, that's sort of like a golf clap. I, you know, I, but obviously, you didn't have any relatives there. Uh, but if you did have relatives, you probably would have clapped like, I'm only a man, I'm only a man. And uh, <laughs> what I didn't say, what I didn't say, a little bit of a detail, just a small detail, just a tiny fragment, just a small detail in the story. What I didn't say was um, I started the fire. 
You say, how do you start a fire in an elevator? Really good question. Um, there are a lot of power outages. We were doing a stock take upstairs, me and the chef, and we had a gas lantern with us in the elevator. We were travelling to the 14th floor. And we were slightly nowhere. Yeah, I drank quite a few uh, Coca-Colas with rum flavouring that day and uh, had probably done some homeopathic remedies as prescribed by Cheech and Chong. Uh, so I was a little drunk and stoned at the time. And, and we thought, I wonder if this lamp works. Obviously, when you're in an elevator, that's the time to test the lamp. And so we lit it and the thing exploded and nearly burned us to death. And, you know, and then, you know, I ran out and got a fire, put the fire out. Uh, but was, the whole story changes with a little bit more information. I went from hero to zero in your mind. In fact, some of you feel ripped off that you clapped. I wasted a whole clap. The guy's a moron. Ooh. With a little bit more information, things change. 56 plus green doesn't make any sense. But if we tweak a little bit, say 56 cows plus green grass equals milk. Ah. Just a tweak. The same with the Scripture. Whenever you base a doctrine or a thought, you want to read the whole counsel of the Scripture. So that with a little bit more Scripture, a little bit more context. Now, in this case here today... We, we, we don't need to go back a, 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 a testament. We don't need to go back to the Old Testament. We don't even need to go to a different book. In Ephesians, we don't even need to go to a different chapter. All, all we need to do is exercise a little bit more diligence. And, and, and we're here. This is the effort. This is the effort that changes everything. We're here in verse 9. And we do this. To 10. 9. That's all we need. That's all the effort. Verse 9, move your face down a little bit. Verse 10, everything changes. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. So that's describing what God's done. He's done all the work. We are his workmanship. Then it goes on and says, created for what? Good works. That you and I, that he created beforehand, that we should what? We should walk in them. So we are His workmanship. He has done everything. He provided the way. He's, he provided the grace. He raised us up when we were dead in sin. He sat us down in heavenly places. He gave us all the authority that He has. We're His workmanship. But He did all of that. So He created us for good works that we should what? Walk. There's a big difference between being seated and walking. Seated takes no effort. It's rest. Walking takes effort. The way God works is you start being seated. The day of Pentecost is a perfect example. They're all seated in one place, in one accord, waiting on God, doing what we sung about this morning, entwining, waiting on the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit descended and fell on them. They got filled with all the power of God in a what? Position of rest. Then Peter stood up in boldness and said, these men aren't drunk, they're full of the Holy Spirit. And then they walked out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth, preaching the gospel. God begins us in a position of being seated so we can stand in spiritual authority, so we can walk out the plan of God for our life. The devil flips the coin. The devil flips the coin. He wants to get you walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I'm not sure there was ever a year like 2020 
that got the Christian church walking in the counsel of the ungodly. I would encourage you, if you're spending your life on social media, going down different tracks, living in an echo chamber, that's just creating negativity. I would encourage you to get out of that. Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This is the day for the church to be the best it's ever been. You know there's more people left the church in 2020 than any other year. They say up to 30% of the church walked away from the Kingdom of God last year and may not return. Why? Because they just wasted their time walking and listening to the counsel of the ungodly because what happens then it gets you standing in the pathway of the sinner and eventually seated in the seat of the scornful and now you're critical and you're negative and you're bitter and you're analytical the devil wants to get you seated down doing nothing God says no I want to start where you're seated in rest stand up in authority and then walk out your salvation in power so we created four good works what are the good works? Well, we know they're not the works of the flesh. The Bible speaks about the works of the flesh. We're not the works of the flesh. God saved us from that. We know they're not the works of the law because God says by the works of the law, no one's justified. So what are the works that He's called us to do? Ephesians chapter 4, a couple of chapters over, says, For He gave Himself some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are ministry gifts. For the equipping of the saints, that's the church, for the what? The work of the ministry. There's a work of ministry. So it's not the works of the flesh. It's not the works of the law. It's the works of ministry. God places you in the church to do the works of the ministry. Then He gives you the gifts of pastors, of teachers, evangelists. We're not called to do the work of the ministry. We're called to raise you up to do the work of the ministry. Why? Because God has called you to do good works. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, We're fellow workers, and you're God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder. I've laid a foundation, another one builds on it. Then it goes... It says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can lay than that which is Christ Jesus. For anyone who builds on this foundation, the foundation of our salvation, with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it's been revealed by fire and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet it's through the fire. This judgment here is the judgment of the church. You're already in heaven. If you're saved by grace, you're in heaven. Getting to heaven is not your problem. Being in heaven is. Because most people just think, I'm going to die, go to heaven. Oh, I'm going to strip down the streets of gold. Look at Jesus. No, God's going to go, no, I'm going to test and see what you did with all that life I gave you. God says you spent something with your time. I gave you 24 hours a day. You did something with that. You had a salary that I blessed you with. You did something with that money. You did something with the life and the gifts and the talents I gave you. What did you spend your life working at? Did you spend your life doing temporal things, wood, hay, or straw? Or did you spend time doing uh, eternal things, gold, silver, and precious stones? We don't know. God says, let me test and see what it is. (laughs) Fire. Everything that you spent your life on, which was temporal, wood, hay, and straw become ash. 
the only things that will be left in heaven, the gold, silver, and precious stones, are the things that you did for eternity. Now, the wood, hay, and straw is not sin. God's not testing you to see if there was sin. That's under the blood of Jesus. You're in heaven. Your sins are as, you're as white as snow. This one is what did you spend your time on? So this is like your car, your house, your clothing, your hobbies, your vacations. Nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong. Knock yourself out. God didn't say that you don't need that. He just said, make the kingdom of God your number one priority. So he didn't say, don't have stuff. He just said, don't chase stuff. Chase my kingdom and the stuff will chase my kingdom. But don't don't chase stuff because my kingdom doesn't chase the stuff. He says, just make, make my kingdom your number one priority. So it doesn't matter whether you've got a BMW or a beat up VW. In heaven, it has the exact same value. It's ash. Your nice Versace clothes, irrelevant, ash. doesn't matter whether it's Target or Versace. In kingdom of heaven, it's just ash. So doesn't, God doesn't care what you wear or what you drive or how wealthy you are or how modestly. It doesn't mean anything in heaven. It's just ash. But only the things that you do for the kingdom of God are the things that last forever. It's your serving. It's your giving. It's your tithing. It's your inviting. It's your building. It's your build. So what are you doing with your time that helps build the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God is established on planet earth through the church. So who are you bringing? Who are you inviting? What are you doing to give? It all adds to the kingdom of God. Now, now, who's got the YouVersion Bible app on your phone? Give me a wave of your hand. How much do you pay for that? Zero, nothing. You download it for free. I would suggest to you that it didn't arrive on your phone for free. It's valued at 50 million was the last offer that they got. But they won't sell it. I would suggest to you there are thousands of man hours and there are hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in that app. So it arrives on your phone for free. You don't allow it, download it for free, but it didn't come to you for free. That's like salvation. We download salvation into our life through the grace of God for free. But we're foolish if we think it arrived for free. How do we get saved? Because Jesus went to the cross and died on our behalf. How do we know that? Because it was written in a gospel. So someone had to do some work writing. Did they write it in English? No, they wrote it in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, the Bible. Is that what we speak? No. So someone had to get an education. Someone had to do the research. Someone had to put time in. Someone spent money in a university to get an education, to interpret the Scriptures in a way that you and I could understand and then spend hundreds of hours working to give us translation that you and I could pick up a Bible and read. I'd probably suggest to you that you, some of you are different, but for me, I didn't go to a hotel, open a Bible and give my heart to Jesus. I went to church and I sat in a seat someone paid for. I didn't buy the seat. I sat in a building someone paid the rent on. I, I, I listened to music from a band that rehearsed in their own time. Did you get here early this morning to rehearse? Yeah. Did, did, did you just come in today and pray over your keyboard ability and then supernaturally start playing keyboard? Or have you had to spend hours learning? How many? Hundreds and hundreds of hours perfecting. So, so He's done the works to give us worship to provide an atmosphere so you and I could receive from God. To sit in a building we didn't pay for 
probably brought to church by somebody else who'd be, I'd suggest you're, you're in the kingdom of God because someone prayed you in. Someone fasted for you. Someone prayed for you. Someone invited you. Someone reached out. So we're all saved by works. They're just not our works. Someone else did the works to provide a platform for me to get saved by grace. Am I saved by grace or am I saved by works? And the answer is yes. I receive salvation by grace through faith, not of works. So I can't boast. But I did it because someone else provided the good works to get my salvation. Now, a little earlier, I said this. I said, when you get to heaven, you won't hear any sound, be silence. And I wonder how many of you, again, were like, "Eh, incorrect. What what about the whole Scripture? Well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody think that when I said that? Well, you can't get a well done unless there's been something done. Like you can't get a well done unless there's been someone doneing something. So something, how can you get a well done on something that you didn't do? How can you get a good and faithful servant if you've not been serving anything? If you didn't serve anything to get your salvation and then do anything to get your salvation, you're not getting a well done, good and faithful servant because you arrived saved. You only get a well done, good and faithful servant because you did something else to get somebody else saved. Your well done, good and faithful servant only happens when there's a done, done well by a serving who served, provide a platform for somebody else to get the free gift that you've got. So He saved you by grace, not you could, so you could sit back on your chuff and just do church. No, He saved you by grace so you could do the works to provide somebody else an opportunity so they could get to heaven just like you. We are saved by works, every one of us. Let's close our eyes right in this place right now. If Holy Spirit, just hover over us by Your presence. If you're here in this service and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Saviour, if you've never received that grace I spoke about, and you're like, John, I'm not right with God, but I need to receive that grace. It's already been done for you. All you need to do is receive it today. If you're watching online and you need to receive that grace, it's already been done for you. All you need to do is receive it. How do I receive that? We pray a prayer. We pray this prayer every Sunday, whether there's somebody who needs it or not, because it's the most important thing we do. Connecting people to Jesus, getting people saved is the single most important thing we do as a church. So we provide an opportunity every service after church to pray a prayer. We're going to pray that prayer right now. If you need the grace of God, pray this prayer out aloud. Make it your prayer. God will hear you and He will respond to you today. Let's all pray it together. Pray it out loud and strong. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you today. I need your grace, your love and mercy in my life. So I'm reaching out to you. Please receive me just as I am. I want to receive your love, your forgiveness, your mercy and your grace. I need a brand new start in my life and my relationship with you. So accept me right now, just as I am, and change my life forever, right here, right now, in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus Christ a big round of applause today. God bless you this morning.